You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Jamie Dumont. I'm Rob Russo. And this is The, the Fabulous, Fabulous Invalid. Invalid. Hi, Rob. Jamie. (laughs) I'm waiting for you to say something. I know. You know what I was going to say? Is that you know the, the 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 thing I get the most feedback on now is that um, our voices sound very similar. Oh, interesting. People yeah. can't tell us apart. In fact, sometimes when I edit, I can't tell if it's me or you. Wow. I know. That's that's deep. Before the parade passes by, I'm gonna go and taste Saturday's high life. So I spend every bit of the fifty cents saving up. Like for a $2.50 ticket at the Kern Theater, I want to be buried between the Kern Theater and the Geary Theater. And they agreed, all right, we'll get the cement up. Well, we are coming to you folks this week from San Francisco. That we are. Lovely San Francisco. Lovely San Francisco. Well, it's a little gray today, but I guess it's a little gray always. It's always gray and rainy here, unless you're in the mission, which it's always sunny in the mission. Interesting. Yeah, that's just a sunny. It's always sunny in the mission and Philadelphia. I guess, yes. Right? Well, San Francisco is a city of microclimates. Did you oh, know this? Fascinating. Yeah. Microclimates. Microclimates. Did you know that the fog has a name? No. The fog is called Carl. Oh, I was hoping it'll be Judy Garland. No, it's Carl the Fog. Carl Sorry. The fog. I wish I could. I wish I had a better name for you. That's wild. Well, we are here in San Francisco um, to visit the lovely, incredible, beautiful, re- newly or recently reopened. Current theater. Recently renovated, renovated I think, is yeah. the better way renovated. to okay, put it. The, the current theater is, is personally, and Rob, I know you're thinking I say this about every single theater yes, I walk you in. Yes, you do. The current theater is my favorite theater in the world. I love oh. I love this theater. It's a bold claim. It it is a bold claim. It's a beautiful theater. Unfortunately, you are not able to really see it in its glory because they have I I gutted's not the right word, but they have they have completely changed the interior of the theater to fit the 
current production of The Jungle. That's right. Yeah. In, in which the, the setting is uh, the Afghan cafe of the jungle refugee camp in Cali, France. So the all of the gold gilding and the beautiful interior of the, mm-hmm. the current has sort of been covered up by by the set. Right, right. It's a it's it's an, um, sort of an immersive theatrical experience. So you're almost in like a sealed box in a way when you're on the ground uh, of of the show. So you don't get to see any of the magnificent auditorium. Um, but Google some photos because it really is stunning. I will put some on social media. Yeah, but do. the 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 theater, which is always has always been a beautiful theater since it was built in 1922, underwent a major, I think, two year renovation, restoration, led by theater owner Carol Shorenstein Hayes. And it, 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 it's, it's, I'll, I'll do some before and after so you can see. I showed you some pictures. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it's beautiful. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. So we visited the theater last night for the opening night of The Jungle, which um, has come here to San Francisco following engagements in London and New York. Um, and it really is, it, it's, it's a testament to what you can do with an historic theater, both honoring the the architecture and the design of the original space while also updating it for uh, modern audiences and modern conveniences. Uh, Jamie is a huge fan of the bathrooms at the current theater. I think everyone in San Francisco is a huge fan Probably. of the bathrooms at the current well, theater. Well, after visiting them last night, I wish every Broadway theater had such lovely bathrooms. The men's room has, what, 20 urinals and maybe 10 <laughs> stalls? It's unprecedented. Yeah, <laughs> unprecedented. And, and the women's room is... Is even larger, I believe. Yeah, I haven't been in. I haven't been in the women's room in in about yeah. a year. Well, it is a testament to <laughs> Aaron's laughing. Yeah. So what? I, <laughs> and I'm just moving right along. Okay. I'm not even faced by. Uh, <laughs> Knowing me as you do, you should not be. I was going to say no. It, it's a testament to the theater owner um, Carol Shorenstein Hayes, who um, is also a, a very prominent producer. I mean, she's an eight-time Tony Award-winning um, producer who um, has taken the lead um, with this theater. And really had a, a vision to to reimagine the space as as a cultural beacon for San Francisco, uh, reclaiming sort of the status that the current has always had, um, but also envisioning it for the future um, and choosing really interesting things to present in the theater. Right. Well, I was just I was just about to say. I mean, her her career has been defined by um, really pushing the envelope and being um, being a champion for works that might be seen as a little outside the box. I mean, you know, she's very famous for producing August Wilson's Fences um, at a time when he was not well-known and giving that play the platform that it deserved um, and, and giving it sort of the boost that, that, led it on its, that led it on its way to winning you know, basically every award under the sun, uh, you know, both in its first iteration and then even the, the celebrated revival, which was sort of the impetus for the film. And um, she's unique in the fact that she's the only producer to have won for... The original production and the revival. Of, that's right. Is that's that correct? Right. That's right. She won the Tony for producing Fences in 1987 on Broadway, and then also the the revival uh, this past decade with. Uh, Do you love how I say just wait? Like I don't even qualify that. It's I'm just assuming everybody who's listening knows I'm talking about the Tony Awards. Right. Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we say award on the show, it's it's the same. We mean Tony. <laughs> and stepping into the current, you feel not only is it a great venue, but it is a place that is on the cutting edge of. Of art as well, just in the, in the design and the, the feel, the ethos of the of the space, um, you really get that sense, uh, which is pretty exciting to experience in a theater. Um, and when we're done here, I'm going to take you down the very famous alley 
where they filmed all about Eve, That's which is right. also which is also part of the uh, the lore, lore of the theater yeah. is that it 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 stood in for a Broadway theater in the film uh, All About Eve because it 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 truly is the one theater in California that looks like a Broadway house. You mentioned it last night. Yeah. How close the the even 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 <laughs> as disguised as it was with the set, even Rob could notice that the mezzanine in the theater was particularly close to the proscenium, which is a, a, more of a Broadway theater thing than, yes. than theaters on the road. I, I walked in, it took my breath away. It was the first time I ever saw a stage. I, I got a view of my whole world after that, and it was sacred and religious. I'm not religious about most things, including religion. But I always considered the stage a place of faith. It's a sacred place. There's something where the human being is celebrated that is sacred. It's, it's very close to church for me. You know, it's very spiritual outlet. It, it makes sense to me that someone who would have faith in God who would also love to be in the theater. People want to focus and give the audience the best that they have. And that's why the environment becomes a very sacred place. I think every artist should be a little nervous before they enter. If you're not, it's time to quit. I go through a whole rigmarole of spiritual work before I step on the stage. You're always striving for perfection, never reaching it, but striving for it. I vocalize to make sure that my voice is warmed up. And right before I go on stage, I say a little prayer because I'm still nervous. And then once I'm on stage, I'm okay. It's very simple. No ritual, no, no dialogue, no, no sound, just simply you sit, stand there and breathe and realize that life is that simple, standing there and breathing. One thing Carol Channing taught me was that if, if you know somebody in the audience, it's going to make your, your performance specifically more interesting. I've done countless performances for Fred Astaire and, uh, and for Gene Kelly. And, uh, and then when, when I didn't know somebody, I would, they don't have to be dead. I would put Carol in the audience. I would say, I'm going to play like Carol's there tonight. I'm going to do it extra. that stage, it's a monument, it's a, it's a tribute to the best in all of mankind, the best creative work they can do. That was audio of James Earl Jones, Kristen Chenoweth, Patti Lapone, Tommy Toon, and Carol Channing, all talking about their experiences in the theater and in the Curran. I just assume if someone's listening to this podcast, they know what all those people's voices sound like. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I feel like we need to just say that so that... No, that was, that was me like doing that for the podcast. Like, yeah. Oh, I know. Oh. I'm, 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 I'm still on the podcast with you, Rob. <laughs> I'm actually responding to what you just said. Um, see, I, you know what I love? And then we'll get to our guest. I love when... I get buttoned up and Rob gets loose, or yeah. I'm loose and Rob is buttoned up. But yeah. we're never in never, sync. Never the at twain the same. shall meet. Never. It's our yeah. it's our blessing and our curse, Rob. It makes it interesting. 
All right, are you done Googling whatever you're Googling? I'm done. I'm good. I'm All right, good. Well, what are you working on here? I'm doing some work. Okay. Um, oh, your other job? <laughs> the one that pays me. Yeah. Um, okay. All right, well, let's get, let's get to Joe and hear what he has to say about this magnificent production of uh, The Jungle. This week, we are thrilled to be joined by Joe Robertson, who is a writer and founding co-artistic director of Good Chance Theater, which he founded with Joe Murphy in 2015 to empower artists from across the world and connect people, stories, and cultures with a particular focus on refugee populations. Their debut play, The Jungle, grew out of the seven months that they spent running a theater in the refugee and migrant camp in Cali. It opened in London in 2017 and played at St. Anne's Warehouse in Brooklyn this past winter, and is now at the Current Theater in San Francisco, where we sat down with Joe Robertson. Welcome, Joe. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. We're delighted thank to you. have you. Thank you so um, much. I was wondering if, uh, to begin, you could just give us a little scene setter of how you and Joe Murphy um, learned about the jungle in the first place and decided to go work on the ground with the refugees there. Well, um if we can, I'm going to cast our mind back to 2015. Mm. Lots happened since then, yes. but it was it was the summer of 2015 when we were the, the news was proliferated with images and videos of of this crisis unfolding in Europe. You know, hundreds of thousands of people arriving on the shores of the Greek islands and in Italy, and we were watching sort of in, in horror these things unfold, and there was this real sense of hysteria in the in the press and confusion and and sort of fear mm. and really came to a head with that photo the photo of the young boy Alan Kurdi um, from Syria uh, who was washed up on a beach and just this sense of what is happening and it was a very instinctive decision by us in in hindsight quite naive I think <laughs> we we had just finished a play in the north of England and we thought well let's um let's go and find out what's what's happening and try and answer the questions that we were asking that weren't being answered in the press, which were, who are these people? Why do they want to travel? Where do they want to get to? It was a very sort of instinctive um, need to understand, I suppose, um, not with any intention of helping or, or, or of staying, if that makes sense. Yes. And how long did you end up staying? We, so that first trip, we didn't expect to stay in Calais but to go further on into Europe and we just stopped off at this we'd heard there was a camp and we found a city you know there were shops and restaurants and mosques and churches and a sort of quasi welfare state set up by the the residents and really awful conditions but a sense of optimism and hope in spite of that and so we sort of shocked at this place and at the many people who lived there and we decided that what would be really useful um, was would be a space where people could come together and express what was happening and reflect on the situation they were going through at that time. And so we, we went back a week later with a big dome, a theatre, a theater. we called it a theatre, but it could have been called a town hall or an art centre. And with the people there built this dome and ran a theatre there for seven months until the eviction of the South, which we depict in, in the play. And that's when, we, that's when we left. So we were there for, in total, seven months. And when you started with the theatre, the dome... Did you find that the response was immediate with everybody there? Like, was it was it something that people took to instantly? Yeah, because it's not sort of the the first thing you think that people in a in a refugee camp might need. You know, right. food and shelter and clothing comes to mind, and those things were absolutely vital. But 
there was a real need to express what was going on. And before you'd spoken to people, you'd found out, before you'd found out someone's name, you'd found out where they traveled from, what the reason was, how they got there. You know, there, there was this need to just, this pent up, um, you know, feeling and emotion and need to, to tell stories. When we we arrived with the dome, this and it's a geodesic dome, so you have to put it up all together. About a hundred people have to sort of sit around in circles and lift it. It's row quite, by it's quite row. large. Yeah, it's about twelve meters in diameter, um, and sort of alien. You know, there were lots of you know makeshift wooden houses. There were some sort of UN style uh, NGO tents, but this is a kind of bulbous alien, and not of any particular culture, not of any. And there were you know cultural spaces like mosques for particular people and churches for particular nationalities uh, and this space was sort of for everyone so everyone got involved in building it and I, it was sort of run by a, a young Sudanese boy called Al-Sadiq who's 15 and he he took the construction map and said all right I'm going to run this <laughs> of course everyone there you know some of them were great engineers and carpenters and electricians so we we all built it together and like that first night was like no night I'd had in a theatre up to then it was an explosion of music and traditions and styles from all the different cultures it was a real exchange you know real um yeah it was a, a very memorable night so that a real release is what it sounds to, like yeah a total release was the fact that the dome sort of a blank canvas or a a, a, a space that wasn't representative of anything else in the jungle did that help with the creativity did that help with everybody come together yes it 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 helped in, I think, two ways. First, as you said, it was literally a blank canvas. People painted on it almost immediately. Mm. Um, people, if they wanted, cut, cut holes into it. <laughs> people outside and inside would graffiti it. it. It changed depending on the needs of the people who used it. You know, And someone would come in and they would say, well, I was an interior designer, so I'm going to get some fabrics and I'm going to, you know, this needs, this needs to change. And, 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 and it would. And, and while they were there, it would take on the personalities of the people who, who used it. And then, of course, they'd get to England because that's what everyone was there for and, and it would change again. And then I think in the other, in the other way, um, it was... It's, it's sort of alien quality meant that it, it was... It could be used by everybody. So you and there were tensions in the camp between the different nationalities. As I said, there were about twenty-five nationalities. But this was a place that was really welcome, yeah. welcome, welcoming to every everyone. And that spirit was really captured in the play. Um, you know, it, for those who haven't seen it, it's it's a very immersive production, and you get a sense of the different nationalities having their own corners, so yeah. to speak. But then also coming together in moments of celebration and expression. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, after spending seven months in the community and after its you know, demise, how did you decide to go about then creating this play? Yeah, well, we never really... I mean, in a way, the dome and the theatre in the jungle was an attempt, an antidote to what we saw there, which was a lot of people taking stories and filmmakers and, uh, you know... But there was a sense of let's take these stories back, and you saw people giving interviews, and it, you know, so the dome was about giving people the ability to tell their own stories in their own way together. So we never meant to write a play, but by the end of our time there, and the relationships we'd formed, and the friendships with people, and working with them to make work and get to know one another, we then returned to Britain and just started to meet up with the people who'd got over to the UK, who were building lives, and we. The way refugee um, uh, 
dispersal is the word that is used. The way disp- the refugee dispersal system is they're often sent to places that are quite difficult already, mm. they're economically def- deprived cities. So we'd started to do workshops all around the country and the people we'd all met in the jungle all together are now living on their own in shared accommodation and, and we just started to, to workshop things and, and, and ask the question, is this a story we want to tell? How would we want to tell it? Because mm-hmm. we didn't know whether people would say, you know what, that experience was just so awful, I didn't want to look back on that. And I think for some people that's true, but a lot of people said, no, that we need to tell this story. And three of them are still in the company now and, right. um, and have, been, have, have built the show from, from the beginning. And so that process took about 18 months before the first performance at the Young Vic of workshops and... Um, development and building together yeah and that was all under the auspices of good chance theater right your, your company yeah so good chance created the play but it was commissioned by the national theater um to begin with so we did a lot of workshops in the national theater studios in london and then david lan at the young vic uh said come and do it at the young vic so we that's that was in december 2017 which feels lifetime ago now, about a year and a, year and a bit ago <laughs> yeah hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Um, well, it's, it's fascinating because you know the, the refugee population that you encountered in Calais is mostly people of color. And I know you've mentioned before um, in interviews that you know there was some concern around the idea of, of you and Joe... Um, and the, the play itself, perhaps perpetuating a, a white savior narrative or anything yeah. like that. Um, how did you navigate that that terrain in, in helping people tell their stories? Because obviously, that's the whole point of the piece yeah. is to give voice to these people who are so marginalized. Absolutely, it's it's such a big question, and um, I'll take it in segments. I think mm-hmm. I think, the, firstly, you know, there was. There was an inequality of privilege in the camp because you had people who had to be there because they had no choice and people who really had a choice. And that includes us and the volunteers and the mm. community of kind-hearted amateurs, as I sometimes say. <laughs> we certainly were amateurs. Um, but but th- both sides of that story were important. So we always knew we wanted to represent um, these two different experiences. So many people brought stories, brought experiences, brought feelings and songs and, yeah. you know, and that, has, that infused every stage of the workshops and rehearsals. So although Joe and I wrote it, so much of it was created by you know, the people who are still in it today and even the new actors who, who are, have opened here at the current have brought, have brought new, new things and new experiences mm. and new authenticity 
Um, so I think that was important in, in making sure it never came from a particularly British privileged perspective. Right. And then just one more thing, I think as well, we hope that our depiction of the, the volunteer characters is itself a, an analysis of, of that question of, of, of what it means to help right. and the responsibilities we all have and the privileges mm-hmm. and the choices. Well, there's a really excellent um, you know, monologue or speech in Act 2 about virtue signaling hmm. that I think you know, for anyone who is watching the play, having any of those thoughts sort of helps complete the picture um, and you know, round the circle um, thinking about these volunteers and what their experience is like versus the folks who were there as refugees. It went so viral, it exploded <laughs> in Britain, and it was this, you know, as Beth says in the play, this journalist James Bartholomew, there was this article about the refugee crisis and about the picture of Alan Curdy and, you know, and we see it on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram, people talking about these things. And, and he said, it's virtue signaling. You're just, you're just virtue signaling. And I, I just... And it just spread like wildfire, wildfire. and it was in the dictionary about um, eight months after that. Right. And <laughs> and I just remember going, God, what? So if and people would criticise us for going to Calais, and and you know how dare these white two white boys go over and and think that they can help? And that's you know that's fair enough, and we need to ask those questions. But then this guy going, you know, you you and you can't, you shouldn't post things because all you're doing. And I was going, so what are we allowed to do? Right. How do we respond to the world around us? Because if you're not allowed to do anything, you're not allowed to say anything. Aren't we just bordering ourselves off even further? Aren't we just? It, in an attempt to, to, I don't know, to, I don't know, I, I, I have always feared and have felt it in our response to, to something like the refugee crisis that we, that we blind, we make ourselves even more blind to, to our responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, do we, are we connected to each other? What is our base responsibility as human beings? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I love about the play is the way it's the production design, the physical production design. And I, I really, it struck me last night while watching it more so, because I'd seen it in Brooklyn. Ah, cool. um, and seeing it again, you know, because I knew the story and I knew what was going to yeah. happen, it allowed me to be a little more relaxed in the space yeah. and to watch other people watching the play, yeah. which to me so enriched the experience mm. because it is exactly that. It's so easy to look away. It's so easy to, um, you know, silo our experiences. But part of what, makes the show, I think, so successful is that community that you're watching on stage come alive, but also in the audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite on, powerful. On that note, you, you, you did... The production at the Old Vic and the production here at The Current uses uh, the mezzanine of the theater, which I believe you call the White Cliffs of Dover. Yeah. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. And at St. Anne's, there was no mezzanine, right? So everything was included in the... Everybody was sort of in the thick of it together. Yeah. How different is, are those two experiences? They're completely different, actually. And that was deliberate. Um, and we, it was at the Playhouse in London. Um, it, it's transferred from the... Where we, where we created this, this other world. And it's a completely... I mean, when you're in the thick of it, in the, in the Afghan cafe, which is, you know, this, this bustling... There's mud on the floor, there's sweet chai and naan bread and you're getting you know the actors are brushing past you and it's quite an alarm I mean, it's quite confronting it's alarming you're really in the you're in the jungle and you know that that was the that was 
absolutely deliberate down there. And there is this other world, this almost voyeuristic world where you see everything and you, you see it from a bird's eye view, as you say, including, including all, the, all the audience members. And often their narratives are as interesting right. as, as the actors. And you, you see the sort of the choreography of the, the way people move through the space. And then we also have this other big element, which we have 10 roving cameras in the cafe, which you can't really see when you're downstairs. But they're projected onto TV screens, and we've, we, we cut and edit uh, a whole new sort of videoscape upstairs. And we intersplice that with real footage that we took in the jungle and that news, um, that news reporters took. And so you also have, as well as the cafe, this outside perspective of what's going on just outside the door. And the, and the way that the Justin and Stephen and the video guys have done it is sort of... Sometimes there are police storming on the video screens, and then they storm into the restaurant, and you really do get a sense that that you're seeing just outside. So they're they're you know not, not to say buy two tickets, but they are two very different experiences. I, would, yeah, I, like I need to go back. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to. I'd be really interested to see yeah. to hear what you what you think of seeing it up there. People have very different responses. Beyond beyond those folks who are in the play, have others who experienced it seen the play, and and what has their reaction been? Um, it's always the, the most nerve-wracking nights when people who were there um, see, see it. You know, back in London, especially, lots of both refugees and volunteers who were there have seen it, and the responses are really, are really, really mixed. You know, some people, some people come out and cry. Some people come out, you know, angered by the situation. You know, in a, in a new way. Um, you know, there were like there were overall, I think, fifteen thousand people who lived in the jungle. You know, on and off over the, the year, and there are fifteen thousand plays that could be written. Mm. Um, so everyone has different responses. Right, it's such a staggering number, fifteen thousand. Yeah, but I mean, to be honest, no one really knows how many. I mean, when I arrived, there were certainly eight thousand. But of course, it was such a transient community mm. that, especially in those early days, hundred people were arriving a day, and a hundred people were getting over. So that that you know the the exchange of people. I mean, who knows how many? But if it, I, I would say at least at least that. Yeah. What do you want audiences to do with the experience and the knowledge of having seen the jungle? Um, I suppose. God, I don't know. <laughs> Lots of things. I mean, we were changed. Our lives were changed, and everything we ever do now will be changed by the experience of being in that place and. You know, albeit from a you know a perspective of being able to leave, and but we we met some amazing people and heard some really awful things. Um, we're involved in building things together with people. You know, we were confronted with a humanity that we had no idea about, and that we were very naive to, and that we had lots of preconceptions about. Most of which were completely shattered on our first day. <laughs> um, and there is a, there is a sense of just of just needing to, to assert that humanity. And I think if people come and see this and they feel like they've, they've sat for two and a half hours at the coalface of, of humanity, you know, and they've just seen real people like them, you know, go through very s- similar things, albeit in a really extraordinary situation, I think the ripple effects of that, um, I wouldn't like to, to sort of prescribe, but I think, you know... That they just give you thirty seconds more consideration when you meet a new person. Mm. You know, they just make you think a bit more, and 
Yeah, and I hope it galvanizes people. We never set out to make an immersive play, and people use that word, sort of, it's an immersive theatre show, but that was never the, the starting point. That came out of the need to represent the jungle. So those, you know, the, that grew out of, out of the, the things we needed to represent. And, you know, the, in the jungle, conversations never ended. They, they were always supplanted by a more important one or a more important crisis. And you were pulled into situations and conversations and, you know, events, and it sucked you in and then spat you out. And I think we wanted to, we wanted that, you know, we wanted that feeling as much as possible. Well, it's achieved for sure. Yes. <laughs> and you're playing in San Francisco for until, for how much longer? We are playing until the 19th of May. And yeah. So yeah. A, it's a good long run. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, and the, I, and I, I heard the little man was jumping up today. Correct. Yes, yeah. that's. Yeah. Charlie, you're, you're yeah, out of the chair. That's great. That's you might have to explain what Do you know what this is? Oh, so in San Francisco, I mean, Charlie Zuko can probably explain it better than I, but in San Francisco, the paper of record, the, the uh, Chronicle, their review system is it's a cartoon figure of a gentleman who's oh. either, he's either I- I asleep in his chair, which is not so good, he's not in his chair, which is terrible, he's sitting upright, which is good, or he's jumping up out of his chair. Yes! The best thing you want. And that's and that's that's. Oh my god, that couldn't. Yeah, that's that's exactly the image of what people look like when they're watching the jungle. <laughs> that's isn't it? Look, that couldn't be more apt. Oh, wow, that's what a great system. So San Francisco is jumping out of its chair. Oh. Its chair. <laughs> well, literally. we are equally jumping out of our chair to be here. We absolutely love it. It's the company can't get enough of this place and the conversation they're having every night. It's a really vocal one. You can feel it in there. Yeah, do you, do you find people um, are slow to leave the, the theatre at the end of the show? Some people just sit. Some people just sit and have to be sort of, you know, politely, you know, I'm not, you know, the, you know, the front of house staff here are fantastic and, you know, they understand that, you know, people are, it's, it's, it's quite an ordeal, you know, and it's, it's very emotional and moving and it's very, people have quite profound experiences, so... We try and be gentle, but yeah, people stay. And, and, and weirdly, people talk to each other, which I sometimes don't do in a theatre, I have to say, but, but <laughs> there's something about the space, this democratic kind of community space that but you see people exchanging emails in the interval, and I, I don't know, I don't know whether that... Yeah, there's a, there is a community convivial atmosphere. I've never given somebody my email at a Stephen Sondheim <laughs> show. I can promise you that. <laughs> No, me neither, actually. No, me neither. <laughs> um, so we will let you um, get going because obviously you are in, in, in much deserving of a, of a big rest. But we, we do have a question that we do like it to ask everyone that's sort of, un, sort of unrelated to the, the subject of your show. But that question is, what was the thing that made you want to work in the theater? Was there a particular show or moment or something in your life that made you want to work in the theater? Apart from it being the place where I was safe as growing up, you know, the, the place I went where I was accepted more than anywhere else, apart from that, which is important, <laughs> seeing Jerusalem in, in New York, and not seeing it in England, but seeing it in New York randomly when this guy just said, as I was walking past a theatre, said, do you want a ticket to this show for $8? <laughs> and I was in the back row and I was just watched down and it was like... That was that was probably the experience that went. Oh no, this is what I want to do, and yeah, yeah, 
to Jerusalem, to Jezbah to West Jerusalem. That's a, that's, a, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> there was something so magical about it and so sort of, you know, it, it was, mag- it was a, a magic play, you know. Mm. Well, that's why we asked the question because a, 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 most everybody has a, a, a moment or a show that, that did it for them and it's mm. always interesting how different the yeah. answers are. Yeah. So, well, thank you very much. No, thank you yeah, so thank much. You having, really good to talk on. to you. Yes, thank you. Rob here with You May Be Wondering. Following our conversation with Joe Robertson, you may be wondering about the camp that is the basis for the play, The Jungle, and what has become of it in the years since Joe Robertson and Joe Murphy lived there. Starting in the late 1990s, the French port city of Calais became an increasingly popular destination for migrants from Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, seeking safe passage to the United Kingdom. Following long and deadly journeys, walking thousands of miles across mountains and deserts and braving dangerous seas, these refugees came to Calais because of its proximity to England. When the weather is clear, the cliffs of Dover on the British shore, roughly 22 miles away, are visible to the naked eye. Calais is also a major trade hub, with goods and people crossing the English Channel by truck, train, and ship every day, which creates many opportunities for smuggling people across the border, particularly in the evening. Migrants prefer the United Kingdom to other countries in Western Europe due to the availability and ease of obtaining undocumented work, the general opportunities provided by the robust economy, the favorable legal landscape for asylum seekers, and the fact that it is an English-speaking country. The French government opened a formal camp in 1999 to handle the influx of people coming to the Calais area, mostly men, but also women and children. It swelled to over 2,000 people by the year 2002 before being closed. However, the flow of migrants continued, especially as wars in Afghanistan and Iraq ravaged the region, Sudan and Syria endured civil wars, and countries across North Africa experienced the Arab Spring. This led to the persistent creation of an array of improvised and unauthorized so-called jungle camps over the ensuing years. The camp known as The Jungle, which forms the basis for the play, existed on the site of a former landfill from January 2015 to October 2016. Unlike these prior camps, this one was more formalized and planned by its inhabitants, swelling to a population in excess of 10,000 people at its peak, and offering makeshift amenities like showers, toilets, electricity, and hot meals. What developed in the jungle, as powerfully told in the play, was a community of disparate people from around the world who created their own society, their own country, an order out of chaos as a way of reclaiming their own humanity and dignity. Through Good Chance Theater, the Joes, Joe Murphy and Joe Robertson, provided an outlet for artistic expression for the inhabitants of the jungle, a human need that is rarely served in the course of a refugee's journey to safety. The jungle also featured a top-reviewed restaurant, a library, a school, many places of worship, in addition to semi-permanent housing structures that were built off-site and assembled in the camp. However, the entire settlement remained unauthorized by the government and subject to major health and safety concerns for the people living in it, from questions of sanitation, water quality, and healthcare access, to issues around petty crime, sexual assault, and even isolated incidents of violence. For their part, the local police were also accused of widespread human rights abuses against the migrant population, including the use of tear gas and excessive force. Determined to clear the camp for almost the entirety of its existence, the French government began removing people from the site in 2016, relocating them in different regions of France. And by October of that year, the jungle had been demolished entirely. But of course, that did not stem the stream of migrants seeking refuge while attempting to pass to England. And so, 
while the jungle may no longer exist, people are still coming to Calais, despite the French government's best efforts to make it as difficult as possible to live, for fear of allowing another large sediment to develop. To this day, some 2,000 migrants live in makeshift camps around Calais, facing increased police monitoring and evictions that keep these migrants on the move without a reliable place to sleep. Even as the United States confronts its own humanitarian crisis at the southern border with Mexico, it's important to remember that the refugee crisis in Europe continues and that conditions in places like Calais are worse now than they were when the formal camp existed. You may be wondering what you can do to help. Well, beyond kicking the Trump administration out of office in 2020, the International Rescue Committee is a great place to start as a resource. There are also a ton of service organizations on the ground that you can support, like Help Refugees, the largest refugee aid operation in northern France. The Jungle is one of those rare, immersive theatrical experiences that has the power to spur political action on a contemporary human rights issue. If it teaches us anything, it's that we are all human beings, and anything you can do to make a positive difference in someone else's life, no matter how difficult, is always worth it. Jamie here. Just kidding. Rob here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes. A very special thank you this week goes out to Carol Shorenstein-Hayes, Greg Backstrom, Abby McLaughlin, and everyone at the Current Theater for welcoming us for this episode. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and the Fabulous Invalid LLC. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. You can always find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday. It's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.